Podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree the podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com, your ultimate destination for FC Dallas, North Texas Soccer Club, and European Club gear. Man, they got everything on there. They got I saw some today, some some Dortmund stuff, some some stuff out of Mexico, some 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 of course the big ones, the Man Cities and whatever. They got everything you want. Listeners of Third Degree, the podcast get twenty percent off your order if you use the code Third Degree at checkout. Some exclusions may apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas curious fan. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. This one numbered in sequential order of 227 episode 227 hi i'm peter we are without dan today at least to start he has gone awol he is missing should we issue a amber alert or a burn alert what would we call that i don't we'll have to think about that but anyway dan is not with us at least at this point maybe he'll pop up during the recording session which we are doing uh late on a wednesday evening but that does leave me left to introduce your hero my hero everybody's hero founder editor of thirddegree.net the original buzz carrick coming buzz hi peter uh i have a complaint to make not to you oh no i just want you to hear starting starting the pod with complaining already yeah okay here's the deal about a year ago my wife pointed out to me some fashion magazine that talked about uh, how soccer shoes were now a new thing to wear, particularly Sambas at the time were a thing. People would uh-huh. buy them and wear them with fancy clothes. And then a few, about a month and a half ago, apparently they've shifted over whoever the powers that be are, have shifted over now to where like gazelles are the thing. The shoes I've been wearing for 30 years now cost $120 <laughs> instead of, uh, the 50 bucks they used to that, cost yeah so all of a sudden i'm now paying uh or i'm not paying as the case may be because i'm not paying that kind of money for my gazelles uh, you know 2x we, right yeah 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 so. i'm not not doing that buzz uh i think quietly under my breath i've repeat i've unsaid on met several occasions that you are a fashionista and a trendsetter so um <laughs> i think this just proves me to be correct I think it's this is one of those uh, things where the you know a broken watch is right once a day or something. It's you not like it. it's not like it's something stylish <laughs> I choose. It's just the shoes that I like to wear, and it's like all of a sudden they're really expensive. And it I already know what's going to happen. My wife is going to watch that Project Runway show that mm. she loves so much one night in a few months, and there's going to be a whole bunch of visors on models' heads. <laughs> And I'm going to go, look, Buzz did it again. He started a visor trend. <laughs> oh, certainly not. Oh, yeah. Look at that hot model in a visor. Boy, there's yeah. nothing sexier than a visor and some gazelles. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's that one's even more simple to explain because I have a lot of hair. So when I wear a baseball hat, my head itches like crazy. So I wear visors. You know, that's, <laughs> it's function, man. It's not, you know, I mean, I'm not. Right. I've been wearing the same style of clothes, the same khaki like 80s yes, breakfast no, club khakis you have dressed and the same way same, I, yeah <laughs> since the day i met you 30 years ago yeah, man this it's, is not fashion <laughs> no <laughs> you're just a bigger version we're just both bigger versions yeah. of the same person well i have less hair than you met 30 years ago but you yeah, on the yeah. other hand have all of your follicles operating at full yeah, speed no doubt true. about it by the way so what size gazelles do you wear 13s all right, so Buzz wears 13 gazelles. If there's some sort of wealthy uh, FC Dallas curious person out there that wants to help Buzz out with a new pair of gazelles at the new pricing structure, 
I bet he gives yeah. you a free month of Patreon in exchange oh for those. God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Do you only wear the black gazelles or do you wear any of the colored no, I, gazelles? I usually would do black or blue, one of the two. You know, those are fine. You know, and they've, they've lately started adding like a few more interesting kind of patterns. I don't want anything too flashy. And I was kind of interested in some of those flashy, not flashy patterns, but something slightly more different just to mix it up a little bit. And yeah. I was looking and they're, they're uh, yeah, they're like $120. Yeah, so well, that's not happening. <laughs> I'm a Puma suede guy, and they're still sixty bucks a pair, and they yeah. come in a rainbow of colors. So, um, well, maybe they'll get around to your Puma suede eventually because no, they went shh, stop it from Sambas to to now gazelles. <laughs> no, and so it's no. ridiculous. I'm gonna go dig my old Sambas out of the closet. I got a pair don't, of those too. Don't f up my suede's, man. Um, yeah. Okay, well, there's uh, shoe talk on <laughs> third degree of the podcast. Uh, so I bet Dan's just kicking himself yeah. listening to this, going, "How did I? How did I?" Uh, Shag and miss that. Oh, yeah. oh, that's my Dan impression. That's a terrible Dan that's impression. That's a Dan. Way. Oh, that's a terrible Dan yeah, impression. Okay. Awful. Well, uh, here we are, and uh, we do have a game to talk about, although we don't have a game to preview. We do have a game to review, and that would be FC Dallas 2, Atlanta United 2. Buzz, you were there. Why don't you tell everybody what you thought about this spectacle? Well, I watched it on TV. I wasn't there. Oh, I thought you were there. No, no. I was... Uh doing something else. I can't remember what I was doing, but I wasn't, I think, I think I was working. Um, I was not at the game. I just watched it when I got home and had a, you know, it wasn't that far behind the, the live game. Um, I was not, you know, I think there probably are people that will be upset that they tied at home. You never like that, you know, and they don't like the fact that Atlanta got back in it and stuff. But um, I actually was not too concerned about this particular result um, for two reasons on a macro level. And one is that, well, I don't think the defense was quite as good as you would want it to be normally. Well, they didn't have Nikosi Tafare. So, of course, it wasn't as good. So I'm not worried about it. And why and they, did they not have Tafare? I, well, I'm a, I haven't asked yet, but I'm assuming it's a rotation question. You know, because the, the there was three games that week, and then he, he, he started the first two with one with Jose and one with Ibiaga. So it, was, it wasn't surprising. Remember, they have this idea – they trump it all the time that they have three starting center backs and they're going to start any two of them in any given game. Well, it ain't as good when Nikosi ain't in there. So <laughs> that's clear as day. So other than that, I'm not particularly worried about that scenario. I actually thought uh, Giovanni Jesus, of all people, had a really good game. The one stat that stands out to me that was slightly worrisome in this particular case, and I think is a straight symptom of Nikosi not being in there, was Atlanta had 13 shots, which is not horrible for you know a, a team like Dallas to allow the other team to 13. That's fine. But six of them were on goal. Now, that's higher than usual for FC Dallas. You know, Jimmy had four saves and let in two. You know, if, you, if you're giving six on goal, that's not that great. And I think that's a symptom of Nikosi not being in there. So, yes, while you should be concerned about that, the solution is obvious. Play the better player. So, on the other side of the coin, I thought it, uh, there was several things happened offensively I thought were really, really good. It made me feel good about when you, as long as you get the right personnel in defensively and you have the right, and these people that have come back and now they're looking healthy and looking better offensively, I felt pretty good leaving this game about their chances to right the ship and get back in the playoffs because their fall apart with the playoffs is just injuries and Jesus missing for like a month for the Gold Cup. That's all it is. So I felt good about it afterwards, even though they've tied. Really? I'm, yeah. I, I, I came away from the game a bit frustrated and concerned. Um, I don't know, mate. I uh, I got a, I got a lot of thoughts about it, Buzz. But uh, well, tell me what is the basis of your your hopeful or the, how you came to be uh, feeling good about this? Well, they they returned to their with the turn of, return of Jesus. They went back to their normal transition game, and they only had forty percent possession, which is you know 
fine. That's what they do. They don't want the ball. But out of that 40% possession, they got 16 shots on goal, which is higher than normal. Yeah. And they ended up with an XG. If you're into the XG thing, I'm not particularly a fan of it, except that it can show you in a general philosophy way how you felt the team was playing. And they had 2.3 XG to 0.6 for Atlanta. So when you have, you know, 16 shots on goal, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a disconnect in that they only had three of them on goal of the 16. And this is what we talk about with this team. When this team is on in terms of is it's finishing, then they win games. So when you, when you're, when you have a guy like Jesus who's been out with the goal cup for a while, you know, the team was playing relatively well and doing some different things than when he was last here, you had guys that have been hurt and been missing and they come back together and they put together this hypothetical chances to score. This 2.3 XG was what that it means is hypothetical chances to score. You know, that means that you're playing in a good way if they're slightly rusty and you don't get enough of them converted because you don't get quite enough of them on net on net, that doesn't bother me too much. I think as you play together with, with Jesus being back and, and and Allen being back in the midfield, again, it's the first time he's done that with uh, Jesus really, you know, that, that I'm not too worried about it. I think that's the thing that'll get better as they go forward from here. Okay. Well, I do. I, I what do you think about the way that he played the team with, uh, Ilara and, um, and his midfield setup and, and, and some of the changes yeah. that we saw there. It was a little bit more like, I mean, nothing is locked in stone these days, but it, you know, it definitely had more of a double pivotish kind of look. Iramondi was different, deeper, excuse me. It had more of a 4-2 four, two, four, two kind of vibe. Allen played a fair bit higher. I think some of that is tactical tweaking for based on the opponent. You know, I think there'll be scenarios where it'll be more of the traditional either 4-2-3-1 where Allen will be deeper or in the wings will be slightly higher. Or you'll see a version this is what they normally play, which is the straight 4-3-3 when you'll have Yeramendi being a little more of a linking eight like he's done in the previous games when Allen was an eight, but he was the more free eight. You know, they, they mix that ratio and shape up all the time. So I'm assuming we'll see a little bit more of the other two versions and a little bit less of this 4-4-2 that we have saw in this particular game because that's unusual for this coach when he doesn't have to play Jimenez. Were you surprised that he threw the two new guys out there together at the same time to start? Uh, I was a little sorry. I was surprised Frazier started because I think Frazier's been particularly poor in the two games he's played before this. Um, I think it was just Facundo had to go 90 twice. You know, it was it was a combination of, okay, it's time to start ER Mindy for a game. And also, I really need to not start Facundo for a game. You know, Frazier was okay. He wasn't terrible, but... You know, I, I think it's pretty clear that he's just going to be a depth piece, that he's not mm-hmm. the piece you would choose to start, other than the fact that they're going to, you know, after this week off, they're going to have a boatload of games every with a midweek game every week, and so he's going to have to play some, you know, maybe even as close to a ratio as Edwin was playing, you know, which is maybe one out of three he's going to have to start, possibly. Uh, and I and I guess the fact that he didn't start Paxton with Ilara is more evidence that he that the new Spaniard is more of a eight than a six because obviously you wouldn't play those two guys if you because yeah. Paxton isn't going to be the six. Well, I think if you had like a full winter to do it, or if you were going to play a four four two all the time, you could play those guys because you can play double eight and a four four two. That's like an okay. old school yeah. England like you know with Gerard and and. Um, uh, oh, who's the other coach that we used to play with him? Well, now a coach, uh, Lampard. 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 
you know, those guys are basically both eights, really. Yeah, it never worked very it well. It never worked great, but, you know, it depends. You know, that's the old way. Like, Deering Perea was a double eight look all the time. You know, it can be done if you have, like, a winner to work on it. I don't think it's ideal, though. I think it does underline. And I want to come back to Yaramindi with some numbers on his time in FC Dallas so far in a bit. And I want to talk about what he's doing. Um, but I don't want to talk about it in the context of playing in with Paxton, but you're right. I don't, I don't think, unless you make what Paxton, unless you legit turn him into a six, which I'm not suggesting you do, but you could, you know, you kind of, you are many at this point is going to be an eight. So it's kind of have to figure out how to do that. Well, we'll get to Alara in a second. I do want to mention, I, I agree with you. Frazier has been, I mean, I don't know what I expected out of the guy, but it's not much. He certainly doesn't have a big bag of much. I don't even know that – I don't think he's in any better than Edwin for sure. I think it's – at best, it's even, and I don't even think oh, it's even. I, don't, I think Edwin's no, much better, yeah, so far. Now, listen, I, I'm okay with giving the guy some time. You know, he's not quite into the prime of his career. It's okay to have workmen like dudes on your roster that you – can you run them out for a game now and then? You know, probably in, in this particular case, they might have felt like what you would lose in linking play, you would gain from – Yara in linking play. So probably there's a trade-off there that they would feel good about. So um, I'm sure that was part of the calculation was putting him in with who he put him in with. It's probably part of it. Yeah. I, I just, there were long stretches of the game where I'm like, I can't even find him on the field on TV. Like I yeah. was just trying to figure out where he was for a lot of it. And again, to be fair to him, he's new to the team. He's playing with another guy in the middle of the field that he's never played with before. Uh, and they're both kind of finding their footing, but there was a significant and noticeable difference between Ilara and Frazier uh, in all aspects of the game. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Between those two guys, look, I think Frazier at best is a pure six destroyer only. Mm -hmm. You know, he has some time at center back, which will tell you like how he is. He's just a pure defensive player. You know, he's not going to give you anything. I don't think, you know, going forward, that's not, that's not what he does. You know, I'd have to look a little bit more carefully at what he does for Canada, but I'm pretty sure he just sits in there in front of the defense, you know, like Facundo and doesn't really move around very much, except Facundo's got, you know, other things that he brings to the table that, that Frazier isn't. Well, that's concerning because I don't feel like he did that very well for Dallas on yeah. Saturday night. <laughs> well, that, again, that's probably a little part of the defensive not so greatness was you know his his performance in there wasn't stellar, but you know it's I, I've certainly seen worse defensive performances by you know in the central midfield, but you know you look at his his line and basically he had like one tackle and one intercept and that was really about it. You know mm -hmm. it just doesn't really. You know, maybe he's in the right place. Maybe he's disrupting things. You know, I'm not seeing, you know, like four recoveries. Just not, not, I, I just feel like he's a guy who, you know, when you see him doing lots of loan deals down to the second team in Toronto and going to like a second tier team overseas, you know, it's just, he's just not quite prime MLS. He's roster filler to yeah. you know and just taking up a space when you were really desperate i mean obviously the rest of this year it'll be facundo you know 10 out of 10 except for when you're burning them out you're going to have to use them some and that's why it might actually be a, worth a discussion to try and figure out do you have an eight you can play like in a double a look and 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 help him which they obviously try to do here and or just play er mindy and paxton and see if that's good enough if you're playing a four you know uh, and from now on now and then i wouldn't do it every game but Obviously, Facundo will have to be the choice now at this point. Well, now that we got a full game of watching him, why don't you uh, dive into a, a kind of uh, what you thought about 
Ilara and his performance and his numbers. Spectacular. I, I thought in this game, he was just absolutely spectacular. You can see, or I can see, I hope other people can see it. There's a real pure class to his game that is not, you're not used to seeing in this league. The quality of the touch, the uh, field awareness, positional awareness, like who's around you, how to move into space, uh, recoveries, passing forward. And I, I dug out a few numbers. Now, 100%, let's remember this is a small sample. This is just now with one start and a couple of bench appearances. But in what we've seen, which is all we have to judge him on, let's talk about how good it is. So in this particular game, he had eight progressive passes, which is spectacular. Still had four tackles and three intercepts, which that's really high, and 14 recoveries. Those are amazing numbers in this particular game. And when you add on the other two performances, these are just a few. And, I wanna, and I'm want i going to give you a couple of numbers because I think people might be like, what you're talking about, I'm not seeing. And I'm, so I'm going to try and explain it to you um, with numbers. Not you, Peter. I'm sure you see it. But for the audience. So, I'm up for learning, Buzz. Yeah. So he has, over this now sample of three, I think it's three appearances, starting two subs, he has 9.4 progressive passes per 90. The number two guy is Edwin at 5.4, and he's gone. So he's double the next best guy, basically, at progressive passing, which is passing that breaks a line, basically. All right, passes into the final third. He has per 90 minutes, which is the big, like we always talk per, per 90 minutes, right? So we're extrapolating it out over what would be a game. He has 13, point, 13 per game. It's 12.9, but it's that's 13. Number two, bizarrely, is Frazier, which again points to small sample size. But then Facundo is at five per 90 minutes. So he's double Facundo at passes into the final third. Passes into the penalty area, 1.76. Number two is Leggett at 1.4 and passes at 1.36. So again, everything that you like in these other guys, he does better. Recoveries, almost 12 per 90 minutes. Ebon was at eight and Facundo's at 7.1. Intercepts, which is... You know, I want to know what intercept is. He's almost at three intercepts a game, which is number one again, ahead of Frazier, Paxson, Facundo, ahead of the people that are supposed to have that. But he's not a six, remember, he's an eight. Progressive carries. Progressive carries is when you dribble past somebody, basically, right? He's not a guy that dribbles past people. He's a he's a sit deep and pass guy, right? Clearly, watch, you watch him play. He's still fourth in progressive carries. Only Velasco, Bernie, and Dante, three of your most aggressive dribbling wings, are better in progressive carries than he is. So in all phases of, a, of an eights play, progressive passing, passing into the box and final third, recoveries, interceptions, defensive effort, dribbling. He's better than everybody else in the team over these three games, you know, by a long shot in some cases. Sure, 100%, small sample. How's it going to mm -hmm. hold up? He's age. But the pure class and skill that he's bringing to the table is just a whole tier above the normal in MLS. So the downsides are, are how old is he? How's he going to hold up over a third long season? You know, in the heat, all that kind of stuff. All those things are concerned. What's he getting paid? We have no idea. That's a huge factor. If it's like three million bucks, I'm going to be mad. If it's <laughs> 500K, oh my God, the steal of all time. So, you know, these things are all going to factor when we think of about him forever. But over three appearances now, spectacular performances so far. Yeah, I saw in the stats, and I don't know because uh, the MLS site in the stats doesn't tell you the number of at least where I'm looking right now. But his to find out that his uh, passing completion percentage was 90% for a center midfielder, that's mind-blowingly great. That's really, really good. Yeah, that is good. Yeah. 
the, the further up the field you go, the lower the number you'll go. And we get yeah. really excited when we see center backs at 90%. Like Hedges over the last couple of years would pass it around 90% because he really worked on that and got good at it. You know, especially when his Lucci ball it was really high. You'd see 90, 92%. To do 90% in central midfield for a linking midfielder is uh, off the charts. Yeah. Yeah, there's, it's, uh, you know, like you said, I hope everybody can see the difference. There is something there, and you can see why they brought him in. And so when we complain about a signing like Ansa, who appears to be, you know, another yeah. insert name of whatever, yeah, right whatever. wing or left wing player here, um, uh, blowout here, you know, you got to give him credit when they sign a guy like this. Now, can he hold up? Uh, can he, you know, he, he, he's an older dude. Yeah, How's this yeah. going to play out? I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see how he affects the rest of the season with eight games left. Yeah, for sure. There are still things to be holding back of like, is it going to work long term? But like in this game in particular, he had 66 touches, which is, you know, like that's like 15 ahead of the next highest person. And Frazier, by you said, I hardly knew he was there. He only had 37, so he had roughly half as many touches. So they obviously the entire team already identifies the fact that this is the guy. We're going to play through this guy. And it's going to be, obviously, it looks like in the short-term sample, really, really good. You know, And you're talking about a game where, he, where the team had almost no possession, 40% possession, and he still put up staggering numbers in terms of like entry passes and things, line breaking. It's just, just phenomenal. All right, let's push up the field a little bit and talk about the front four, which was uh, uh, Bernie, Velasco, Ariola, and Jesus. And your kind of general feeling about how the attack felt in this particular game, because it's certainly something we've uh, been very concerned about. Yeah, I thought Paul Ariola was my man of the match, mostly because he was back to the form of what Paul should be. Like, he looked like Paul for the beginning of the season. Now, that's not Paul from last year, but... And now he no longer looks like a guy that's like on the danger of being on the rehab pile. Struggling to remember how yeah. to run straight. Yeah. <laughs> he actually looked like he could run. Yeah. So, and he, he connected well and he did really good things. So I, I thought he was really, really good, especially compared to how desperately they need him to be really good and how poor he was even just two weeks ago. Uh, one of the things I wanted to say about Paul is like, um, I don't know if, if you ever talk about this, you know, in your life, but there are major stress events one has in life that can cause disruptions to what you do for a living or your performance or whatever. And there are major events like moving, changing jobs, getting married, having a kid. Well, in the last year, being Paul, left off the world cup roster, being left, being left <laughs> off the world cup roster, Paul got married. He's having a kid. Like he got a major injury. His mother-in-law passed away. So like he had like three or, or maybe if you clue, if you could get hurt in the world cup, he had five massive, massive stress events in his life all in the space of one year. So if you wonder why maybe he fell off a little bit, mentally speaking, it's clear as day to me what those probably were. Like you would point at getting married and having a kid, like those are awesome. They are awesome. They're still stressors. They still stress your life and change your life and make it put you in a place you've never been before in terms of how your life is going to work. You know, I imagine that his wife, I don't know for sure, but I imagine she is now living in Dallas full time, may or may not have before, but he used to go to California all the time. So like these are major, major stressing life events all happening at one time for him. The same season he was made captain, same season he got left out the World Cup, and the same season he had a massive injury. So, you know, I'm cutting him a little bit of slack in amongst all that. And I really like just what he looked like when he got back because they're not going to do squat unless Jesus is here and playing and Paul Ariola is back in form. Yeah, it, and I think what really is the part that's frustrating as a fan is that you, when Velasco is cooking in the form that he is of late, 
and especially now is being able to play kind of a more middle central position and affecting the game that way. And Paul doing Paul things on the right and Jesus, you know, I, th- I my, my opinion in this particular game is that Jesus started very poorly. His first touch was terrible to start yeah. this game and he worked his way into it and got better and more dangerous as the game went on. I, the, the thing that continues to plague this team is its inability to find a left wing player. Yeah. And the fact that Bernie Camungo, who is not a left wing player, <laughs> is who you at this point have to turn to to play that at this point in the season after you've signed all these other people to, you know, numerous endless list of people to do it is the thing that I just is one of those things that continues to hold this team from getting to that next level in my, you know, yeah. observation. Hey, Seuss had eight shot creating actions and two goal creating actions. He only got one assist. I think it was, but he was involved in the buildup for the other one. So, you know, you're looking at a guy when he's on this a key catalyst for what this team's doing. He has, he way blows them out of the water and key passes. Now that's a padded stack because he takes the corners, but um, you know, when he's going, the team is going and he should, you're right. He should have scored. Like he should have been better than he was. And he was still really, really good. You know, you could have easily picked him as man of the match, even though he didn't score just because of how his performance was and mm-hmm. how the team reacted around him. It's a shame that Bernie's probably going to be out for like six weeks, you know, with his collarbone. But, um, you know, he's, while Bernie isn't really good about making everybody around him better, he is about 50% on these chance taking. Like when he gets these opportunities, he's, he gets about half of them. Oh, that's a, yeah, that was a fantastic finish. Yeah, I, don't, I still don't think people have spent enough time kind of reflecting on the chance that he took and how he took it and how well he finished it. Uh, it was, I mean, if you know, he's just a kid and it was really good. Yeah. But, but I think the rest of the game for Camungo, he struggled yes. in that position. Yeah, he does. You know, there's been five, four or five games in the last month and a half where he had a chance to either to win the game, and he won about half of them, and he missed about half of them. But other, you're right. Other than that, he doesn't have the overall team concept and impact that Paul Ariola does. Now, granted, Bernie just got to MLS, so I'm not I'm not too worried about it. But you're right. It's like we shouldn't be having Bernie shouldn't be needing to start yet. He should be, you know, a filler and a and a guy that's going to come out of the bench. You should have other better options, and it's a shame that. You basically have your other option at this point is basically um, uh, uh, Obreon or slightly smarter Obreon. You know, <laughs> Anso and Obreon to me are the exact same player, which is my frustration with the uh, the signing of Eugene Anza is like you went out and got a player that's exactly like the player you already had. Now he's a tiny bit better, not tiny. He's a he's a step better in terms of team integration and concepts. He's just a tiny bit smarter, but he doesn't necessarily use it in an impactful way. Effectively, you have the same two players in Obreon and Ansa, neither one of which are going to help you solve this problem of having legit left wing on it doesn't seem like to me and so that in a way that signing even if he's only slightly better than Obreon he's pretty much Obreon it's a waste of a signing those are the kind of frustrating the FC Dallas signings that I can't stand are these kind of retread second or third tier I mean we've seen a boatloads of them over the years I love a 20 year old uh, a, a Velasco, even a Giovanni Jesus I love that kind of signing you're looking for a big hit right well, this other dude is just a middle of the park. Like Frazier is just a middle of the park roster guy. You know, granted, you needed a body. I get it. So you'd made a move, you know, and then Eugene Anson is like, I already had a guy. I already had O'Brien. I need another one of those guys. I need something better than that. But again, you know, they were living to the money. So what could they do, I guess? Yeah, I would look. I I would pay for a. I pay a subscription to watch a series of how Dallas goes about scouting and finding and making decisions to sign 
these guys. Yeah, that was the mystery to me. It was like they talked about trying to get Ansa for like a year, and I'm like, this is the guy you've been trying to get. I know. I it just yeah. Maybe maybe it's one of those guys where, you know, six months from now or like after a whole winter, it'll be like Cobra where we'll be like, man, I can't believe we doubted this guy. But over like the first month so far, he looks like just a slightly smarter Obreon, which is not all that great, frankly. Well, maybe that uh, harkens back to the days of Oscar Perea, who we always got frustrated with. They'd sign a guy and you would never see them play until like two and a yeah. half, three months after they joined the team because Oscar was so mm-hmm. convinced that he had to put him through the baking process first. And, and by the time we saw him, the season was almost over, it felt like. I mean, this is how I feel about it right now, right? Dante Seeley, like as a wide mid or, or a wing back, has been terrible. But when he's been as a wing, he's looked interesting. At this point, just start Dante Seeley at wing over O'Brien or Anson. Either one of those guys is given. I'd rather suffer a little bit with Seeley because at least maybe you could develop him into something eventually. You know, especially if Bernie's going to be hurt. It's like, just play Seeley. Yeah. You know, if you're going to play a 28, 29 year old who's not going to get any better and kind of is just like, whatever, just give me the kid instead. I'll take the kid every time. Well, I'm sure the thinking is hey, we're still chasing a playoff spot. We got to make the playoffs. I'm sure. And it's a veteran versus a rookie thing and all of that. But uh, yeah, okay. Well, um, I guess we should all feel re, re, you know, we should all feel good that the, they didn't end up dropping all three points. Yeah. Uh, but I'm still not convinced that, uh, I don't know. It's just, I, I was hoping for a win in this one. The, the way the schedule is going to play out for Dallas, this was one you, that three points felt like it was uh, kind of necessary. Yeah. Well, when you look at the grand scheme of things, they're the worst, second worst offensive team in the league, in the West. Only Colorado is worse. They only have 29 goals, right? So, you know, the bottom line is they have to keep every game tight. They have to keep the game really defensive. And they have one of the best defensive records in the West, too. So every game is going to be close. You have one little hit to the mix. Take out a guy, whether it's a guy defensively or Jesus offensively, you're going to tie games or lose games. Like, you have to have everybody that's your key players here, and they all have to be on, you know, for you to get these games because your team is just that built that way. It's just built should be keep games really tight and keep the games really uh, low scoring, you know? So it's going to be a lot of one ones, one zeros, like a two goal game for yourself is like, Oh, that's fantastic. Well, they haven't given up two goals at home. Probably. I, be, I haven't looked yet cause they haven't put the stat out, but I bet you that the stats can be something like that was the first two goal game they've allowed in a year or something. You know, mm-hmm. they just don't usually do that. And I think it's just cause you took Tafari and pause out. Right. I mean, Jimmy Maurer is a decent backup. You know, the other two center backs are decent backups. But you lose both of those guys in one game, well, that's a pretty big hit, and that's why you tied the game. Yeah, I, you know, I get the concept of rotating and trying to give guys time off, but with the international break coming up and none of those in Tafari not getting a national team call-up yet, I just... He was too critical, uh, for yeah. especially against Atlanta, who has scored the second most goals in the Eastern Conference. You know, being a guy in there that clamps that down, the 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 goal um, that uh, the Greek guy scored and just kind of schooled I- Ibby for the header. I, I just my feeling is yeah. Tafari plays that better than Sebastian does, uh, at least more athletically. Yeah, that dude should not have been on the field anyway. But um, yeah, no. I, I agree that like once you lose pause. I think you have to reevaluate and say to yourself, I can't not have Tafari. I got a week off, right? There'll be plenty of time to recover. He's 26. That's yeah. young enough that he'll be fine. When I, now have, I now have 14 days before I play again. You know, it would have been fine. 
I think. You know, he probably did it in order to keep the other guys sort of in the mix and feeling like they're a starter. Yeah, man, once you lose pause, the, the pause to Jimmy drop is too big. You know, I, I respect Jimmy as a solid MLS backup right now. You know, he's okay. You know, he's not great. He's 36 or something. So you have to recognize that, man, I got to bring my frontline defense, especially because you have Giovanni Jesus on the other side who is not particularly good defensively. Now, he was, this was one of his better games because it's a home game, you know, but it's still, I, I would have absolutely started Tafari, you know, but maybe we don't know something. Maybe there's a knock. Maybe there's something we don't know about, you know, if it's very possible, but yeah, you know, he didn't mention anything post game. I, I read all that, those quotes and he didn't come up. So, uh, I know people uh, get tired head when VAR talk comes up, but I have to be honest, I was a bit surprised that Yakamakis wasn't uh, given a yellow card for the, the elbow because yeah. I thought on VAR, I, I mean, I get that VAR can't uh, issue a caution, right? That That's one of those scenarios yes. that it has to be a red card uh, matter. But I'm fairly certain that if you were to ask pro referees uh, off the record how that actually works, yellow cards are co are communicated to referees all the time because there have been more than my fair share of uh, observations where incidences have happened, no card is shown, and as replays are being shown, suddenly 30, 35 seconds later, a yellow card comes out because you yeah. see in the replay, oh, that's actually a little harder than I thought. And I'm convinced, I don't have any proof of this, but I'm convinced VAR officials are going, yeah, that's probably a yellow. Oh, yeah, and, I, and, and I'm shocked that in this instance that didn't happen because it was I would make the argument that if you are really paying attention to that replay, he he looks like he intends to do exactly what he did. Yeah, I agree completely. I, I actually thought that like the quote unquote violent conduct was something you could suggest that the ref should go look at. Maybe maybe there's a feeling that that wasn't clear and obvious violent conduct, but maybe I'm not understanding that part. Um, but I 100% agree. Like compared to the one Ibiaga got for later, where his arm is up and out, yes. but he's not swinging. It's right. just up and out. Versus this one is up and out, and particularly in the context of he already got a card wrecking a dude was clearly really frustrated and was clearly overreacting and overhitting people across the board at that point. And then he goes on to score a goal. I mean, it's like, dude, that dude shouldn't have been on the field at that point, you know. And I'm, listen, I'm not one to usually complain about refs. I'm a guy that's like, you got to play the refs as they are. But that looked like a real legit thrown elbow to me, and he split Martinez's lip wide open. I'm, I'd be surprised if there weren't stitches in that thing after the game, you know, because he cracked him pretty good. Well, I don't think it, that the failure to give him a second yellow or a straight red is what caused Dallas to lose the game. I still think Ibiaga should have defended that header better. Fair. Um, and there's other, ins you know, the the second goal for Atlanta I just thought was poorly defended as well. Nicely taken shot, but letting that guy have all that space seemed ridiculous to me um, yeah. uh, uh, in, in that moment. Uh, but I agree. I, I just I was uh, after all the other VAR incidences that have happened across all the different leagues over the weekend. It was not the best weekend uh, for uh, the argument to use VAR, um, at least that it works um, for sure. All right. So that means with nine games left, Dallas uh, sits in the standings at ninth place. Uh, they are on 34 points. They're two points behind San Jose. They are a mere point ahead of Austin. 
uh, and all the Austin stuff that's going on. And, you know, we've talked about this before. It's a super tight deal. The difference between Dallas in ninth and LAFC in third is uh, six is, yes, six points. Um, So it's a couple wins and man, it's a it's going to be a weird race to the end, Buzz. Yeah, you can get, you know, 24 points out of that total. Well, they're not going to win out, but obviously, but there's 24 points available, you know, so no one's going to get that, but you're probably going to have to get, you know, at least a 42, I would think. So you probably need, you know, at least a third of them, if not half of them, you know, with with this as tight as it is and with awesome, you know, in San Jose and Minnesota, you know, even Kansas City starting to come on, you know, all the way up to Houston, perhaps maybe. You're still looking at, te- you're probably going to have to get to maybe even mid to, to 45, 47 potentially. It's really hard to figure that out because it's so much is dependent on how other people play. But um, it's not going to be super simple. You know, if now if some teams will collapse on you, that'll really help. You know, and obviously if you're not the team that collapses, but, you know, even if you can play, you know, 500, that probably can get you in, but it's going to be squeaky. You know, th- that, that losing streak in the middle of the season, uh, that yeah, was the sixth brutal. gamer, man, that really put you in a bad spot, you know. But if you look, at, if you look at the standings, not just in terms of the points, but if you look from where Dallas is to second place, Seattle has eleven wins. Dallas d- down to Dallas and Austin has nine wins, and Kansas City has eight. So it's two wins separating second place to tenth, and three wins from second to eleventh. So you just win a couple of games and you're going to jump way up in these standings because it's so tight. So you don't have to crush it, but again, and again, everybody else is probably going to be playing about 500 ball. All these teams are basically 500 teams, you know, or slightly better. So mm-hmm. if you end up being slightly better than 500, you should make it. Well, it's an interesting run because when they get back from the international break on Saturday the 16th, Seattle comes to town, then they've got to turn around and play a game in Salt Lake on the 20th that following Wednesday and then come home Saturday and play Columbus, another high-scoring team, by the way. They've actually scored one more goal in the league. They're the highest-scoring team in the East, I believe I'm correct in saying that. So. Man, they've got work cut out for them. I, uh, I, it's a toss up for me at this point because then they go to Philadelphia, then they go to Houston, uh, then Colorado comes to town, which is maybe the chum on the list. But you know, Dallas is, you know, that's their bogey team. Yeah, they just fired the coach. Yeah, and so, uh, and then they've got San Jose, at, you know, to close the season out. So, yeah, uh, you know, to end the season with Lucci coming to town. Mm-hmm. You may have your playoff spot on the line yeah. in that game, you, you know. Might. You might, and they're and by the way, they're probably fighting for that same playoff spot. Oh yeah, that's probably a head-to-head six-pointer. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Okay. Look, C- Seattle is good. That's but it's here. That's a balance. Seattle, Salt Lake City actually is only five hundred at home, bizarrely. So you probably like your chances to go in there and try and kill the game and steal it late. You know, of your of your road trips, you probably feel like maybe that's the one you can get a point or something. But then, as you mentioned, Columbus is high. Powered, so that'll be like Atlanta. Can you maybe Yaga better be available? Can you hold them down and get a goal or two? Going to Philly is going to be rough. I mean, that's a game you might rotate heavily and just eat it. You know, going to Houston, you're going to want to show to that game. That's a rival. The game will be physical and nasty. I bet you. Colorado, they're going to have fired their coach. They're going to get a bounce. How big a bounce? They're pretty terrible. So I don't know that it'll be enough, but. You're right. That's always the bogey team, you know. And then Lucci coming here. Oh, thank goodness LA is actually terrible, 
and you get them the last game of the year on the road though. So again, yeah. like you might be having to go to LA needing a point or two to get in or, or cement your position. None of that's going to get you what you want, which is a home game. So like your chances to get back, unless you can run the table at home and get a result or two on the road, that would get you back into the top four, I think. Cause you really, you have, was it one, two, three, four, you have four home games left. And four road games. So if you run the table and get a one or two results, maybe even if they're just ties, you might can get back into the top half. But I mean, have you been looking at a team that's going to run the table at home? I don't know, man. I mean, they they do pretty good, but they don't win them all, you know, because they keep the games tight. Well, so and they and, and they also have to count on other teams' uh, performance as well. And the reality yeah. is that fifth, sixth, and seventh, Houston, Vancouver, and Minnesota, all three of those teams are in fairly good form of the la- over the course of the last five or six games. They're all on winning records. Minnesota's on a nice little tear. We know Houston is, and Vancouver's not doing bad. San Jose's more like Dallas. They haven't been that great of late. And obviously, the story of Austin. Um, and Kansas City is behind there too. So, uh, and Kansas City now. Now Kansas City's won their last two games. I mean, Kansas City in their last five games are two wins, one loss, two draws. So you can't afford yeah. to see Kansas City get hot. So yeah, man, they gotta. They're just gonna have to do it. And I guess the thing now that uh, Kamungo is hurt, mm. this is critical that Ansa actually does something. He yeah. can't just be a guy. You know, he's got to be somebody that does that uh, you know pays off as a purchase in mid mid-season purchase. I know I know play Dante yeah I, I agree with you I think it feels to me like seven to eleven you know Minnesota San Jose Dallas Austin Kansas City five teams three spots that's kind of what it feels like with eight games left mm-hmm. you know it, it, you can't point like a head-to-head kind of thing because eight games is too many but you know 24 points theoretically available but you know, no one's going to get all 24. So, like, those five teams are all basically 500-ish kind of teams. And whichever three of those teams are, you know, tilt slightly better is going to be it. You know, and that can, that brings me back to why I felt relatively positive about this game. If Tafari's in there, if Paz is in there, now that you have Jesus back, now that Velasco's cooking in midfield, now that Ariola's feeling pretty good, now that Iramendi looks pretty good, you know, my only real worry is going to be, you know, the, the, this team is not deep enough to rotate heavy through this tough stretch of midweek games. It's like four straight weeks of midweek games, I think it is. So, you know, that's going to be the burden when you bring in a Frazier, when you when you give Tafari a game off, when you give Jesus a game off, you know, or, or have to sub him out early three or four times. You know, what's that going to do to your form? And that's that's where you run into a worry, I think. You know, this team is not mega deep like, like LAFC is or – you know, or, or St. Louis is, apparently is. <laughs> it, it's a little thin. Buzz, are they going to make the playoffs? I think they do, but uh, I think they're looking Oh, you at, do? Yeah, I think they do. I, like I said, I think I think when Tafari and Paz are in there, the defense is much better. And I think Jesus has some points to prove still. I think Paul's back to form. You know, losing Bernie is not as the end of the world. Bernie shouldn't be starting. Like that's not going to swing things either way. It's 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 O'Brien or Yar or, or or excuse me, Ansa that has to do something, you know. And even in that case, you know, there there are other guys like you. Maybe we'll end up with a Jet on the wing, you know, or maybe that maybe in order to win games, putting Vlasco out there just to finish the year might be the best call, just because then you can have Lejet and Yarmandi and and him out on the wing, you know, that might be better as a group than having Allen in the middle and Lejet on the bench or Yarmandi on the bench. You know, and having somebody like Obreon starting, perhaps. I, I don't know. 
you know, that those are on the coaches to call that. But um, I, I think this team is better than the six game losing streak with the massive, massive injuries all in one position and missing Jesus for the whole gold cup. I think this team is as good as they were the first half of the season, not in the middle part of the season. All right. Uh, moving on. There was a call up amongst the ranks buzz. Yeah. Well, Carl Ciante plays for North Texas soccer club. So a lot of people may not know who he is, but he plays for Haiti all the time. Uh, well, all the time recently over the last year or two, so he's got another call up for the uh, CONCACAF Nations League, which is coming up. Uh, he'll probably play a fair bit for them. Uh, he, he's he's one of the leaders of North Texas. We'll see if he's going to make it to MLS. I'm not convinced yet. You know, being a starter for Haiti is not the same as being a starter for Mexico. You know, so um, he got called up and congrats to him and, and good luck to him. And hopefully we'll see if he can progress over the next couple of years. Uh, and let's see, it says here on the run sheet in red crayon Academy roster posts. Yeah. I just wanted to print my, uh, my, my posts I do every year at the start of the season with all the rosters of the FC Dallas Academy teams and what I know about all the players. I have notes on almost everybody down to like 13 years old. You know, some of those younger kids I'm still learning Creepy. about, but well, no, I don't, I don't think I do it creepily. <laughs> <laughs> I think I talk to a lot of people. You do. There's a lot of people that out there that put out a lot of really weird stuff about kids all the time. I saw a ranking today that boggled my mind. But a what? A ranking of of like talent and, the, and a couple of guys they mentioned from FC Dallas. I'm like, you haven't seen that guy play in a couple of years, have you? But like one guy they had listed for FC Dallas really, really highly he doesn't even play here anymore. So I was like, okay, you obviously don't. You know, people do all kinds of stuff without. You know, you notice I I focus on the thing I know. You don't see me doing rankings from nationwide. It's like I do the one thing. I know my yeah. team. I do this thing. You know, so I'll probably go scout some games this weekend, actually, because there's no FC Dallas games. So. And the other news I saw you tweet, I think it was yesterday, they're going to put a bunch of kids in UPSL. Yeah, UPSL is uh, a nationwide amateur league for people that don't know. Fifth I think, tier? I think it's fifth. They like to say it's the same level as NPSL or USL2. I disagree, but, you know, it's made of potato. Everything below Division Three is not official. It's just like whatever you want to call it. So I think it's fifth tier. Um, but the point is, is that almost every other, not almost every other, there's a lot of MLS teams that rather than running in their U19 team in the MLS next pro next, next, not next pro, excuse me, MLS next, they just pull their team out of that and play them in us UPSL. So Dallas has, is fielding a team in UPSL to get more games. They're still playing their 19 team in the 19 bracket. They just have enough players between between kids that are on the north that are signed for North Texas that maybe aren't playing as much that need some minutes or the 19 year olds for the academy that aren't up for North Texas yet or maybe even like a 17 year old or a 15 year old you want to try and push them up and see what happens so effectively if you'll excuse the analogy this is to North Texas as North Texas is to FC Dallas does that make sense yeah totally. it's a stepping stone between the the 19 academy and North Texas so Unless you're like a 15-year-old kid getting your chance to try play against adults, most of the time this is going to be for guys who are going to either go to college or maybe be are trying to at like 18, 19, 20 progress to MLS to get some minutes or something. You know, it's kind of a, a step below North Texas, if you will. But it's new. It's brand new. It's a nationwide amateur league. People like 40360 play in this league. That's the teams you're going to run into. DKSC has an adult team. There's a bunch of college players or ex-college players or semi-pro players in this league. It, it is a really, really good 
super high amateur, like get the guys like this get into the national amateur cups. They even get into open cup, stuff like that. So for time to time, it's, it's a really high level. It's just not pro or semi-pro. It's slightly below that, if you will. Well, uh, where will they play those games? I don't know. That's a good question. I'll, I'll look into that. I don't know the answer to that. They had their th- first game this weekend. so Because uh, I thought to play in UPSL, you had to have an, a f- your own field. Because um, it wasn't like there was a place everybody went to to play. I thought UPSL was, you got to find. Because I th- wasn't that Lone Star Republic in the UPSL, and they played their games at Green Hill? That sounds right. I think that's correct. Well, anyway, uh, that'll be fun to see how that plays out. Well, you can you can use like the um, oh any of the fields the, up in Frisco. Yeah, the, I'm sure the complex some up there. One of those fields will be their home fields. So whether yeah. it be it probably like it could be the FC Dallas training field, or it could it probably more likely is going to be field three, which is the one just north of the first team field, because the first team field trains on that field every day, and it kind of has become like a second first team field, but it's not behind the fence. And it has a couple of little bleachers there. So that's my pure guess yeah. that that's where they'll play is on that field, just one field north of the first team training field. Uh, but I didn't, I only heard about the team. I haven't heard about where they're playing or anything. Like, but like I said, I do know their first game was this weekend. I think they actually played 4-0, <laughs> which is interesting. You know what? I bet if I went to the UPSL site, it would say, I just, it didn't occur to me to go look, you know, cause I'm sure they'll be on the schedule, you know, with some kind of roster posted, just like everybody else in that league probably does. So. Well, with what appeared to be another fine uh, attendance, I don't think it was listed officially as a sellout, was it, Buzz? I don't believe it was a sellout, no. Uh, yeah, but it did appear to be a nice, a nice uh, a, a late, a t- late arriving as always, but by 20, 30 minutes into the game, it looked very full. Uh, and we're, this is now becoming the norm for this club. I mean, we've, we've come a really long way um, yeah. uh, from where we used to be when, uh, goodness gracious. And, and tied to that was a tweet that I saw that came out the other day from Doug Greenberg, who was writing for Front Office Sports and wrote a whole article about how when Messi comes to town, uh, things, you know, things go very well in terms of ticket sales. And he specifically called out Dallas. And I guess he had a conversation with Katz or somebody up there. And this was surprising. So uh, a paragraph in his article about the Messi effect across the league was mm-hmm. the following. I'm going to read it. The club has sold as many season ticket packages at this point in the year as it did by the end of last season in 2022. That is a si- And that 60% of those sales happened since Messi, uh, Messi's appearance in town on the 6th. That's crazy. And he says, by the end of this year, FC Dallas expects to have sold the most season tickets in one year in club history. Now, that isn't saying too much because Dallas has been historically famous at not selling a lot of season tickets. I'd I'd make the argument that Dallas has been one of the lowest ranked season ticket selling teams consistently uh, dating back to the 1996 yeah, for those of us that have been here to watch 25 years of meh, the last two years have been staggering in terms of their stunning improvement in the stands and selling tickets and creating attention. And 100% credit to them. They've changed their ways. It is so much better. And the, the, there's information in that article reinforces a rumor that I had heard, effectively the same thing, that there were a immense amount of people that came to the Messi game and said, you know what? This is awesome. Yeah. And called to buy season tickets. They yeah. had a massive season ticket bounce off that messy game. And that's the point of like, that's why 
guys like Messi are worth it. They're, they're few and far between, but it's why the whole league was like, we're all going to subsidize this because the whole league is going to bounce off this guy. Just like Beckham did, this guy is too. And I'm sure the next World Cup will do it too. Again, I bet you. Yeah, I'm sure the effect uh, that we that Beckham had is is a multiple with Messi uh, for sure. Oh, but yeah. just to kind of put some perspective, especially for those FC Dallas curious listening that have not been following for the club for a very long time, maybe you maybe you're new to the pod because you went to the Messi game and you've started listening. But what's interesting, and I, and I continue to, to contend, this is the most underreported sports story in DFW, which is Dallas's attendance turnaround uh, since last year. It's crazy to me. I did a little research, and, and now, again, I'm working off some different sites that report attendance numbers. Not everybody is correct. Like, one of them doesn't have Dallas's correct uh, maximum attendance number. They have the old 20,000 number, not the current 19,096 number. Um, so some of the numbers get mixed up, so you have to do this. But just to kind of make a point, Dallas currently at this moment now sits 10th in the league in what I consider to be the most important stat, which is not sellouts or, or uh, uh, attendance averages. It's the percentage of capacity because everybody's got a different sized stadium. So how many tickets can you sell for that stadium? Dallas sits 10th in the league at 96.5% or essentially 97%. But for perspective, in 2016 – the year, the best season this team has ever seen. Uh, Dallas was nineteenth uh, of twenty-eight of uh, nineteen of the teams at, at six. Am I reading that correctly? I wrote this down. They were nineteenth in the league with sixty-eight point eight percent capacity sold. And in twenty ten, the year they made MLS Cup, they were fourteenth of the sixteen teams that existed back then at fifty-two point eight. Yeah, the team has always been really, really low in terms of that. A part of it, too, in the early days, of course, was that the Cotton Bowl was massive, and that really skewed that stat. But just in terms of Toyota Stadium, they've never really consistently filled that place. It's always no. been. And even more so, like, the actual people in the building was never the announced number. So, like, we would look around, and then we were like, this is nowhere near the number you're saying. Well, now the numbers they're saying look like what is actually there. You know, or at least very, very close to it. It's a staggering improvement. You know, I, I again, credit to them because they're the ones that have turned it around. Nothing to do with anybody else. It's not the field. It's not the play. It's just a change in marketing. And because we're talking about coming out of Lucci when they missed the playoffs, right? And so, so that was like a low in terms and COVID and all that stuff. Post COVID, man, they're crushing it, and they're, they're just doing really great things. We're actually to a point, and I cannot believe this, where we're now having to think about this team needing a bigger stadium. Well, or at least doing something with the empty old North end. Well, yes. Adding capacity. Yes. E either, either fix the North end or add a deck or something you need. You, we're, we're to the point where we're now considering this team might need a 30,000 seater, you know, uh, to jump. that might be a stretch buzz. Well, how do you, <laughs> what are you going to do? I mean, if you're going to do, if you're going to spend a bunch of money, are you going to go from 20 to 23? No, you're going to go to 30. You're not going to bother to go upgrade a little bit because oh you, no, you're right. You'll yes. just you'll yes. just sell, you'll just be happy to sell out for a couple of seasons, create scarcity, create demand, create a hype, right? And then you can make a jump from twenty to twenty-seven. I don't know twenty. I mean, I, your designer is going to limit it, right? What you can do, but you 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 don't need seventy. You don't need fifty. But we're at a point where we have to now think about what's the next step, what's the next phase. I mean, not. 
a day-to-day fan, maybe perhaps, but you and I do, and the team certainly does. They better be. Well, I would be I would be pleased at this point if they would invest a small amount of money in creating some sort of permanent seating in the old beer garden that creates a new fan section, like we've all talked about, a safe standing section. I know I'm convinced that can be accomplished yeah. uh, fairly easily if they were willing to put the money into it versus the ultimate deal, which is tearing down the existing north and east sides and rebuilding them. Uh, you know, in yeah. the same way they did the South Side. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how the the lack of the gambling affects that idea. Because remember, we've been hearing all kinds of talk of tearing down the North and the East and rebuilding that side with like this hotel, mixed events, all these things. You know, perhaps a sports book. All with the idea of the World Cup. Well, you know, it's it, we're already getting towards the end of twenty twenty three. So you know, you're you're about to be in a, the season that's two away from the World Cup. So you better start moving if you're going to do it. And so the longer it takes, the more I think that's not happening. The more I think maybe it will be just something on the north end. You know, the more I think it will just be trying to fit retrofit in there. Because hardly we use the stage hardly at all anymore. I don't think there's hardly any concerts in there. Um, well, Buffett's dead, so it's not going to be him anymore. <laughs> oh my god, you're so awful. <laughs> well, I he stopped doing. Know. He moved his show someplace else, didn't he? Didn't they stop having? Parrot, yeah, it hasn't been there in a while. Still awful. <laughs> oh, sorry. Rest in peace, Jimmy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there we go, Buzz. Well, here, hey, kids, here, buckle up. We're in the September crush. This is where MLS finally gets really interesting because there is going to be a bum rush for all of those playoff spots. And uh, despite the fact that there being more playoff spots than there not being playoff spots, there is no guarantee Dallas is going to be in one of them. So uh, this is where it gets interesting for sure. Yeah, I'll, let me tag on one tiny bit of piece of news here that sort of I only bring it up because of what we just talked about. Right, the idea of the stage not being used anymore. Okay, they put out a press release. Toyota Stadium did this week. Uh, maybe it was last week. One of the uh, yeah, it was yesterday. Recently, I just looked it up. It was yesterday. I just looked uh, from from our friend Jeannie Miller. Uh, the FCS bowl game, the Division One championships that they do at Frisco Stadium, they just signed on with ABC to broadcast that game. Mm-hmm. So what does that have to do with SC Dallas? Well, nothing. But if that game is gaining traction in terms of audience interest and people that want to come to it at Toyota Stadium, that is a factor in stadium renovation. If that if that stadium, if that bowl game is like, oh, hey, look, we'd like another five. That's a big part of yeah. how the South End got done. That's exactly how stadiums get done. Look at the Cotton Bowl renovation that happened for one game. And they don't even play that game there anymore. You remember that renovation <laughs> like true. a decade ago? They yeah. dropped like, right. it was like 20 million or something to renovate the upper deck and do the scoreboard and all that stuff. And the combo moved in Texas Stadium in Arlington anyway. And they have another bowl game there now. But bowl games and football, American football, get you money. They get you stuff. So it was, It's. do we care about it here? I don't know. But for it to go to a network like ABC, and have some money and have some interest and some, you know, well, oh my goodness, that might be a big deal. You know, that all's involved in it. Yeah, if that ends up being a driver for them fixing the sore thumb that is the stage, um, that I'm fine with that. That would be fantastic. Yeah, and they have that other bowl game that they do too, that whatever they call that thing, the Texas Bowl or something. It's a, it's a low-tier, like, Division One game that gets played there also. Like, last year was Houston and 
SMU or something. You know what I mean? It's like, a, <laughs> I don't remember what it was. It's not a great bowl was game, but Texas? whatever. It's still money. It still yeah. drives, uh, you know, bowl games matter when you're talking about these stadiums, you know, and the continued addition of new Frisco high schools. Like right now, I think they, is that, are they up to four? I think. Uh, no, I think they're up to six. Is high it schools. six? Yeah. Six. I, I, I remember when they built Toyota stadium, I, I had a conversation with the, the guy from the school district and he said, eventually they're going to have 10. Yeah, I believe so, it. It yeah. may be more than six, actually, now that I think, because I think they opened another one this year, or they're going to open another one next year, or something like that. Like they, like there's so many of them, you can't keep track. You're like, how did they come yeah. up with that stupid name for high school? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well. All right. Well, I'm dead serious. Curious. Uh, start hydrating now because this is getting really sweaty between now and the <laughs> end of as we get into October uh, from the end of the season. Uh, oh. This. This is where it gets very serious. Imagine if, if an old MLS having a, if you had gotten the ESPN two o'clock game this weekend, like this Saturday, two o'clock at twelve. Can you imagine how awful it would have been? No, I'm really glad they don't have a game actually, <laughs> given how hot it is. I'm hoping it's going to break the weather in the next couple of weeks. Oh yes. And we should throw in Tanner Tessman got a call up. He is with the national team this weekend. I can't remember who yeah. got injured or knocked off the roster, uh, but Tessman, uh, you know, former yeah. Dallas kid um, and Auburn kicker want to be yeah or was it clemson no it was auburn Cle- uh, or was it clemson it was clemson Dabo Sweeney's yeah Dabo Sweeney, that's right yeah. yeah uh so he's uh traveling from venice uh to come join the yeah. national team and that's pretty kick-ass i've been dying to see him play with the national team he had the double soccer football scholarship remember he was gonna kick uh, yeah oh yeah yeah I totally remember yeah Dabo helped him get his homegrown deal. He did, actually. <laughs> That's one of my favorite stories in MLS lore, yeah. FC Dallas lore, is that Dabo Sweeney sweet-talked the nation into believing <laughs> Tanner Tessman needed a homegrown deal yeah. by threatening to make him a, an NCAA kicker. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tanner also played really well in spring tra- yes. camp. Yeah, when somebody else got hurt and he got invited as an – that was the that's one of the things about Tanner with me is like I don't know how you watch Tanner dominate the U19s that year and be like the best player on the field every game and not think he was ready for a contract that you you waited until he actually came into camp. I was like, I don't know what you're waiting for, hmm. but maybe you're right. Maybe Dava pushed it over the line with all that stuff. So, okay. Okay. Before we go, one last thing, uh, Peter Chris Capas moved from um, Bronby to uh, yes. Mald. Um, what's the club in uh, Southern Molda. Uh, Molda. Yeah. Where um, uh, Zlatan started, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Mold, Molda, whatever, how you pronounce that. So move. That actually, that actually caught the eye of my Norwegian friend Lars, yeah. by the way. Yes. Uh, a, champ, a team that's in the Champions League, I believe. So hopefully we'll get some action. Chris is at a good stage where he needs lots of PT. So hopefully they'll actually play him because he wasn't getting playing time where he was. Good for him. Yep. Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by SoccerNaudio.com. They're the place you want to go for FC Dallas, North Texas Soccer Club, and European gear. They got all the best stuff. Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga, you name it, they got it. Third Degree listeners get 20% off at checkout if you use the code Third Degree. You know the code by now. 3-R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E at checkout. Occasionally, some exclusions do apply. I'm going to try to dismount one more time, Buzz, but I'm going to do that by reiterating, everybody, get ready. This is going to be a long, sweaty six weeks between now and the end of the season. Just be prepared. And don't say we didn't warn you, okay? Okay. All right. Uh, well, I, obviously, Dan did not join us, so hopefully he will be back, back next week, Buzz. So there, thank you, sir, for all your insight, information, and wisdom. You're welcome. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We will speak to you next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Where's Dan? 